0: Around the nation and around the world, here's your host, Alexander Garrett. Born
1: is the King of Israel. So, I mean, come on. How do you not love Christmas time? How do you not love the Christmas music? I'm sure my guest on the line with me right now, Kevin D Miller, you have to love the Christmas music during this time, right?
0: I do, Alice, I do. I love this time of year. It's a great time of year for family, great time. It's just a a good feeling this time of year. So,
1: and I know we're going to talk about your book in a second, but any sure. family traditions that you want to talk about? Really quickly, this is the third Advent, Sunday in Advent. So any Advent traditions, any traditions around this time that your family has?
0: Uh, you know what, Alex, it's 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 kind of been funny for me the last few years. We've kind of, um, I mean, we've had traditions over the years, but we've kind of, to be honest, we've lost some of our traditions because um, we've moved to California because my two young daughters are acting. And it's kind of thrown It's kind of thrown our family a little bit outside there, you know, for Christmas time, because we always end up on the road, it seems like, traveling to Arizona to visit relatives. And and this year, we've decided um, to do something a little different. This year, you know, we talked to the girls and we said, you know what, we're going to stay home for Christmas this year. We're going to have our own Christmas and actually kind of do our own Christmas tradition. So so the girls can wake up on christmas um day you know and we can spend christmas eve eating our christmas dinner and and just enjoy a christmas with you know my wife and my two daughters and i because we've just just kind of been been travelers, travelers you know this time of year and uh we've kind of which which means we've kind of put on hold and put on behind and kind of you know lost some of our traditions which was sad to us so so we sat down as a family and kind of said you know we really, really want to have a good old fashioned Christmas because my daughters are, are are 17 and 13, you know, so they're growing up and they'll they'll be on their own soon. So we wanted to make sure we went out and bought a big old Christmas tree and, and had them decorate it. We sat around one of the traditions we do is we turn the Christmas music on and we just all decorate the tree. So we got to do that this year, you know, so we're really looking forward to just an old fashioned traditional Christmas, you know, with with just us and not having to be on the road so much.
1: Well, that sounds like awesome, you know, just to spend time at home and are are your daughters in college now or when did they start acting? I know we didn't really talk about this last time, but yeah, I, I know you're itching to talk about it. So tell us a little bit about that.
0: Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, my daughter, uh, Emily, is a, a senior in high school and my daughter, Gracie, is in eighth grade. So they'll both be graduating um, in the in the spring. Um, and then Emily will be going to college. She'll be she's looking. We're looking at colleges for her right now to attend. And then uh, and then Gracie will be moving over into high school. So she'll be starting uh, in the high school there. But, yeah, we 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 came here from uh, Tempe, Arizona. um about six years ago, uh, the girls got involved in that. They've always been an entertaining, and, and we had an opportunity to come here and talk to an, uh, an agent here in, in California.
1: Well, that sounds uh, pretty awesome, and, and I wish you guys a great journey on that. And I know that uh, they did not get a chance to meet your grandfather, but I'm sure you instill a lot of his uh, legacy into their, you know, into raising them uh just like his, your father took your grandfather Stanley Puchalski Miller uh we're talking with uh Kevin Miller he's the author of Heart of Steel and uh, let's get into the book a little bit so
0: sure.
1: you are probably raising your daughters the way your father was raised by your grandfather i mean with with the values that your grandfather had would you say that's accurate
0: I would say that's very accurate, Alex. I do. I try to, you know, I'm a very traditional person. I believe in the old-fashioned values, and um, that's how we raise the girls. You know, we believe in that and, and teaching them, you know, uh, what's valuable and teaching them respect for themselves and other people and adults. And, and, and yeah, we definitely pass those values down through the generations. So I would say that's a very true statement.
1: Now, what was about your grandfather that you really want to write a book About the heart of steel. I know we covered it a little while ago, but time has passed. Mm -hmm. Give us a little refresher before we dig into it even more.
0: You you bet. You bet, Alex. Um, The thing that hit me the hardest, that hit me the most, and the deepest with my grandfather is just his dedication, his devotion, and his just unconditional love for his family, because the things that he went through and suffered, he never gave up hope and he always had his family's back, you know, and that was one of the things that he always taught us is that your family, you don't fight with your family. I mean, it's okay to have disagreements and stuff, but you, you, you pick each other up. You got each other's back. When all is said and done, you're still family and you love your family and you take care of each other. And that's, that's what he taught us. And that's what really inspired me so much about his story that I had to write the book. And so, It
1: has this story, for those of you not familiar yet, has tragedy, has some laughter. I mean, your grandfather was a funny guy, and I think he made everyone around him laugh and smile. That's the impression I got.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah, he he was a he was a tough guy, you know, because he had to be, you know, growing up. And and when you read the story, you you understand why, you know, he was thrown into just uh, a tragedy at such an early age, 12 years old. But, even through that tragedy he he maintained that sense of humor he did and and he passed that down because we we all kind of have that same sense of humor you know and that outlook of life that just kind of takes the edge off of life when you can laugh at yourself and laugh at each other and stuff that just kind of it, it kind it has a healing effect to it
1: and you know what his story I think he had to have some laughter in it because of the tragedy of it so take us back he's he's born in Ohio and now you're in California but your your family tree really starts from Ohio and beyond uh, what was what was going on in a little town in Ohio that actually got news coverage
0: well what happened was in back in 1920 it was actually the night of September 13th 1920 um my grand my great grandmother woke up my grandfather um and told him that he needed to go get the sheriff immediately. She, she was, you know, bound, and she had gotten out of her her bindings. And my great grandfather was shot and murdered in his sleep. You know that he was shot in the right temple while he slept. So my grandfather, at 12 years old, was sent to get the sheriff, and the sheriff came back and and investigated this um, this incident. And uh, that this is, and this is kind of where I found out about this stuff is because we we learned this through an, through a bunch of old newspaper articles that we came across um, by some cousins of ours that handed us these these newspaper articles that that showed it, uh, this tragedy, and it kind of follows the investigation for about a week, week and a half, two weeks, and that investigation turns. It's got a lot of twists and a lot of turns and a lot of unexpected things and, and truths that come out, and and. What happens is my my grandfather and his siblings end up in an orphanage in Warren, Ohio in 1920 as a result of all this tragedy that occurs. So they go from from that situation, you know, to uh, a worse situation. And And let me say, my great grandfather was. A good, you know, he was a rich farmer in Ohio, kind of a good old boy in the town there. He drank a lot, and he was he was a very abusive man. He was a very cruel and and, and very abusive man. So that you can kind of see where the story's going there. So, let me ask you this: Do you feel that? Uh,
1: do you feel any? Uh, how do you feel? First of all, how'd you get the dialogue to this? Because the dialogue is emotional. It has some humor. How did you put the dialogue together for this? And when writing it, what emotion did you feel? Did you feel sadness for your grandfather? Did you feel triumph for your grandfather? What was it like writing the dialogue for this?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, Alex, it was, it was a very emotional experience for me because the story is so close to me and I was so close to my grandfather. So yeah, man, I had, I had like, you know, I mean, there were times I had tears in my eyes when I'm trying, when I'm writing the story and when I'm, I'm just, I was kind of I felt like I was almost, you know, just kind of in tune with his spirit, you know, as I'm writing this and, and feeling. And, and I tried to write the book through his eyes, you know, literally trying to see, OK, if I'm 13 years old, how would I feel? You know, because, because I knew my grandfather well, but, you know, but I just had a, a range of emotions. I, I felt for him, you know, I felt for him and I, I just admired his his, you know, his courage. I mean, to me, he was, he's like a, a hero, like an American hero to me because of the courage he faced. And, and I also felt a lot of, you know, a lot of emotion and sadness for, you know, like my, my great aunt, Sophie in the story, who, you know, who's a victim of domestic violence sure. and abuse. And I it just broke my heart and I, and I did, I had tears in my eyes a lot of times writing this, you know, it was a very emotional story for me. And I, I think that, you know, comes through in the in the words and on the pages.
1: As I've told you before, I get choked up reading parts of this book and it's no doubt why Heart of Steel is the name of the book. Now, uh and and your grandfather had a heart of steel. Now, often today, Kevin uh Kevin Miller, when when we discuss family family issues and family abuse, the word trauma comes up. But your grandfather never really passed on the trauma that he must have had. Dealing with all this, dealing with taking care of his siblings after the murder. I mean, he never passed the trauma down to you. But do you guys ever feel that kind of way when discussing the story?
0: Well, yeah, and and that's true. He um, he truly had a heart to steel because he bear, he bared the burden of this um, you know this tragedy his whole life, and he protected us from it. He took it to his grave. He never we never knew. He he took it to his grave. Never told a soul wouldn't talk about his life or his childhood. But after we learned the truth of the story and we, you know, we read the newspaper articles and, and I started interviewing um, relatives and I, I found old letters written and I found a whole bunch of information, more information out there than I, than I thought there was. It, it, yeah, it, it's an emotional story for all of us, for all our family. And, I, and like I said, I've um, received calls and emails from relatives I didn't know I had that, that read the book and thanked me for writing the book and told me how emotionally affected wow. they were by it. You know? that's,
1: that's amazing. Now, there is a line in the book, which I want everybody to listen to right now, which, is, which kind of, you would think, sealed the story. Our family name died that day. We buried it, never to be spoken again. Not to each other, not to our children or our grandchildren. Kevin D. Miller is the grandchild of Stanley Puchalski Miller. And the secrets and scandals of a family are to be guarded and respected. Protected from the judgmental eyes of the outside world, we embrace a new legacy that morning to carry us and our family into the future. When exactly did that moment happen?
0: That moment happened um, in the in the book. They um, once they have once they have uh, St- Stanley has come back and he and he steals his he steals his siblings from the from the orphanage and he gets them out and then takes care of them. They they made a pact. At that point in the story, um, at a young age, I mean, they're still, you know, pretty young there. He's still a young teenager. And they made a pact that they would change the family name and that they would not speak of the tragedy, you know, to protect the family, to protect his mother, to protect the family, to, to protect the generations, you know, following him. So that's when that um, decision was made, and, and, and they stuck to it, you know, because they were very tight-lipped. Uh, my grandfather and his siblings, they, they didn't say very much. I mean, the, you know, they would say things over the years, and, and it's like my, my father now, he's kind of putting a lot of stuff together. You know, as I was writing this book, thinking, you know what, granddad told me this one time, your granddad, and things started to make sense. You because know, we kind of had pieces there because you kind of re- would reveal stuff without really talking about it. And then then things just kind of came together.
1: Well, all right. And and we gonna get to this in a minute. But folks listening, Stanley Miller, Stanley Pachowski Miller wasn't um, just uh, rescuing his siblings out of the orphanage. He then went into real life and he got beat up an awful lot. And the physical pain he endured just to save people, just to save his future wife, so to speak. I mean, mm-hmm. that in of itself is a story.
0: Yeah. He, he was that kind of man. I mean, he, he really learned, I mean, he grew up strong tough. I mean, I mean, his, his dad as mean as he was, he did give him some skills in life because he taught him how to fight. He taught him how to be tough. He taught him how to be resilient and over overcome impossible odds. I mean, that's one thing. That's one positive. I can say that from my great grandfather passed down to him, but he was a defender i mean he he was a defender of you know of his family and and, and people and i i remember a story that my you know and it I, that my dad told me about my grandfather he said one time he goes i remember as, as a kid you know that he witnessed himself that um some that there was three brothers that that insulted mma you know and were harassing her and insulting her and and my grandfather he goes your grandfather went over there and he whipped all three of them he goes and because I sat there and watched it with my own eyes, he was just he was just a he was a street fighter. He, he knew how to handle himself growing up in that tough environment. So he had this very strong, you know, side to him. But he also had that very loving, kind, you know, thoughtful side because he would always stand up for the underdog. He was always there to protect. He was the guy that would stand up and protect you, you know, when no one else would.
1: And MMA, by the way, would be the future wife of Stanley Puchalski. Now, you had your grandfather up until 1985, and your grandmother 12 years later. So let's get into MMA a little bit. When sure, he passes, yeah. and I got to talk to you about the timepiece because that's another fascinating part of sure. the story. But when your grandfather does pass on, he first tells uh, your your uncle never asked me about my life. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, he he did because when he was on his deathbed and he was dying, my uncle Rick, who who's my the youngest of the three boys, looked at his you know he looked at my grandpa and he said, "Pops, you know, tell me about your life," because he wanted to know you know because he kept so much to himself and and my grandpa just raised his finger and he just looked at him and said, "Don't ever ask me about my life," and that's all he would say you know and he passed on soon after that. And so Emma
1: May you have her. Emma May, I feel like I'm saying Emma May like the fighting, but no, Emma May, she Mm -hmm. lives on for 12 more years and she never told stories about your grandfather or how much he loved her or what was her perspective like uh, after his passing?
0: Yeah, no, she, she, she talked a lot about him. I mean, she, she thought the world of him and, um, you know, as, as after he passed on, you know, she just kind of went on by herself she never you know she never got remarried or anything they were they were married a total of 49 years and she never remarried um but she did she she talked about granddad a lot and and, and told us stories and told us you know um about, about her you know their their younger life and stuff but i don't there was a lot of that that she of, of my granddad's story that she didn't even know uh either you know he didn't reveal that to her for example she really didn't know that his name was uh Puchowski. And and um the name it took me a while to to, to learn how to pronounce the name correctly. And I just recently, saying I, I know I did too. I said Puha is it Puholski? Buchelski? but I I talked to some uh, Polish uh expert in, in, in names and he said the sea is silent. It's actually Puhalski. So now now I'm pronouncing it right. You know, OK, I got it now. You know, that that makes sense. But she didn't even know that his name was Buhalski because he changed it to Miller and she thought he was German and he was actually Polish. And, you know, so there's a lot of stuff there that he, he just kept hidden from her as well.
1: Now, well, that is very interesting. So the dialogue where he meets her and how that all happens, was that through her eyes or how did you create that whole scenario for the reader?
0: when uh, when they meet in the uh, speakeasy? Yes, yep. Yeah, yeah, that's um because writing the book, the, the book is uh historical fiction I call it, based on a true story because everything that I know for fact, everything that I've researched, that I know for true, I put in the book, but then there's areas where I don't know exactly what happened or how it happened. So as the writer then, then I, you know, I create what I based on things that I know. I create the story, you know, so there's 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 a few parts in there that are fictionalized to to tie the story together and keep the story flowing for the reader. You know, I know I know kind of the story of how they met, but I don't know the exact words they would have said or the exact dialogue. I know that the part where she walks out of the bathroom with a with with toilet paper stuck to her shoe. That's absolutely a true story. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, you know, pieces in there. So I put all the pieces of truth that I know and and the things I don't know, I have to, I have to write, you know, to pull, pull everything together.
1: Now, many who are listening may not know that Kevin D Miller Pacholsky was also in the military. He's up on the news as well. What, what would your grandfather say? You know, he was a small town, a small business guy. Mm -hmm. He was a tough cookie. What would he say about today's political landscape? Just out of curiosity.
0: Oh, my gosh. You know, Alex, I think he would just be shaking his head like a lot of the rest of us do, you know, because, yeah, he would um, – I don't think he would understand, you know, coming from where he came from and and overcoming and surviving the stuff that he endured. I don't think he would understand some of the complaints, you know, that, that so many uh, people these days make about their lives that really aren't so difficult, you know. I think he would – he would be confused, you know, by by people being upset about certain things that are just, you know, kind of silly, actually, you know, knowing where he came from. So I, I, I don't I think I don't know. I think he wouldn't really fit in, you know, or I, I think he would his mind would be blown by the the temperature and in the in the things in, in politics and in the world today. Well, at least he
1: got to vote for Reagan, I'm guessing, because he was around in the at, at 80. So I'm guessing he voted for Reagan.
0: Yes, he did. Yeah, he he would have had. He, he? Absolutely, he would have. So, but and, um, and the, yeah.
1: go for it. Sorry.
0: Oh no, that's okay. No, that's okay. I'm just yeah. He would have. He would have just. I think his mind would have been blown by by the things that are going on uh, these days.
1: I I would definitely agree. Considering some, you know, there's a meme out there the littlest inconvenience, but literally people are talking about the littlest inconvenient to them when mm-hmm. they have to think about the big picture and i think this christmas season this gift of heart of steel would give people a greater picture of what's really going on through this through the eyes of stanley and through the eyes of kevin miller
0: yeah no i, I agree I, I think and i think you hit on that too because one of the, a, a kind of a great christmas present for your family is to to learn about your heritage you know, why not? I think because I think a lot of our young people and kids and stuff are actually interested in knowing about their families and knowing about where they came from more, more so than they might let on. And I think that, yeah, the book would be a great gift because, it, you know, and, and then maybe it might inspire someone to say, hey, I want to look into my family. You know, I want to look into, you know, do some research and, and find some stuff out about myself, you know, and pass that on to their Generations, because I think it's important to pass that stuff down, so that so so that um, you know the generations that come know where they came from and who they are. And if you like adventure, this one definitely has it. It has Stanley
1: in Chicago, and I was kind of wondering when he was in Chicago. Was that Capone time, or what was that era like? Being in Chicago, working in what he was doing.
0: That was most certainly Capone time. Yeah, the the uh, the mobs was was pretty pretty active in those days. And even, um, yeah, and even in Canton where he was at, where he ended up, there's an area in Canton called Little Chicago where um, it's even you know, rumored that uh, Capone hid out for a time. And that's that's another part of the book as well, too, when he comes back and he kind of gets involved, you know, he's involved in in the bootleg and in the speakeasies and where he purchases uh, a speakeasy. And that um, that all occurs in Little Canton area, which was a very um, yeah very uh, high mobster you know area. And my grandfather his his view on that is that he never became a mobster. I mean, he did a lot of work and and he knew a lot of them. But he, his philosophy was you know just don't ever let don't ever let them do you a favor so that you're not in debt to them you know and you'll be okay. But um, but a lot of you know there's a lot of mobsters that he knew that he did work for. He laid floors for. He would. Yeah, you know, he worked with his hands well, and and they liked him, and they paid him, you know, for his work because he was good. He was good at what he did.
1: And uh, nowadays, people don't really want to go to that hardworking mentality, as you and I could see on a daily right. basis, and that's kind of sad. And maybe this book could inspire people who are down on their luck that hey, you're not out of the woods yet. You can do something with your life because you know, unfortunately, Stanley could have just sat in the orphanage and done nothing, but he didn't, right. and and he made something of his life. And I think that could inspire people who are down on their luck this Christmas time. You know, it's a very, for some, it's very depressing this time of year. Mm-hmm. This seems like a light that could shine for them of, Hey, you know what? I can rebound too during this season.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that, Alex. It's, it's like um, he didn't sit down and feel sorry for himself. He picked himself up and he always moved on. He never took the time to sit and, and feel sorry for himself. And here's, kind of my philosophy on this. It's like, you know what, in life we're all the author of our own book. I mean, if you don't like your life the way it is, you have the pen in your hand, write a new chapter. You have that power. And I don't think as people we realize how much power we have over our own life, you know? So the you know the analogy of you're the book authors of your own story, you know. So if you're not happy with your story, Write another story, you know, write a new chapter because you can do that.
1: And then, of course, it it was one. And I agree with you. I'm trying to write my my little story uh, as we go along because my dad's older. and I want want him to see how much I appreciated his time Um, on this earth as a father to me. And I just I have no time to write it, but I'm trying to figure it out. Maybe you can inspire me to write this thing because I really want to get it out there from my 30th, which is oh, in two yeah. years. So we'll have to see about oh. that.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's, that's awesome. That's, that's great, Alex. And, I, and you just keep following through with it, you know, just, um, that, that's great. And I'm sure your dad will be, you know, very honored and very touched by that.
1: So we'll have to see It's, it's a work in progress, but one of the topic, mm-hmm. one of the thing I was thinking about as we're talking is, so he goes, Stanley's doing all this work, but he never wanted to tell his mother. And I feel like, um, there's that part of it as well. Like, how much do you divulge to your parents with what you're doing? That seems like a, a hefty a hefty task, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it does. You know, it does. And and his philosophy was, you know, whatever it takes. You know, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll walk through, you know, I'll walk through hell if I have to, and and not put that burden on my family just to take care of them. You know, he's willing to to do whatever he had to do, whether it was it was bootlegging. Whether it was, you know, laying floors, whether you know, whatever it took for him to do to run away to Chicago, catch a train and, and work in a steel mill, he was willing to make that sacrifice and do it. And he didn't he wasn't a man that he didn't talk about himself. You know what I'm saying? If you had a conversation with him, Alex, he would want to know, you know, how's your life going, Alex? You know, he would want to know all about you. He wouldn't talk about himself. He was just humble in that way.
1: Same with my grandmother, honestly. She would always be like, How are you doing? And very few Mm. of us could get through to like how she was and what her life was like. Uh, And she lived to a hundred. So that was, yeah, that was interesting. We all want to know what what life was like. And she was always like, but how are Mm. you doing? You know, she always cared Mm. about us and not so much about her life. And then, you know, we've done some research and it's become an interesting project here in the house, uh, dealing with that backstory. And as you say, learning about your heritage can teach you a lot. And to be honest, it can also help you break patterns that maybe you had in your family that you are now inspired to break because it does tend to come down generation to generation. And I always feel like we're in position to stop whatever negativity there was and bring positivity forward.
0: I I totally agree with that. And like, and like I said, I mean, you've got the pen in your hand, Alex. I mean, we we all have the pen in our hand and, and we can change things. We have the power to do that. And a lot of times, we don't recognize the power that we have, you know, in our lives and, and, and the effect that we have on the lives of people around us, our family, friends, and just other people. I mean, every person has got the potential to do so much, you know, for the world, so much for other people, so much for their family and so and so much for themselves. We sometimes neglect ourselves, you know, but you have that power. We have that power, you know, to, to just change things, make things a little bit better, you know, just each day, just make one thing better, you know, and the world's a better place. Kevin D
1: Miller is who I'm talking to Heart of steel book. I hope you have a few more minutes. Cause I got one oh, other sure. thing to talk to you about because you didn't really valuable, valuables and material things weren't that big in the book. But one thing that did stand out to me was the mutter timepiece because he had it since he was mm-hmm. a child. And I guess I want to preface this by saying, by asking, Should we? I feel like people get rid of valuables like on a whim and don't keep it. But Stanley did. And how important is it to keep valuables rather than say, oh, it's a new year. I should get rid of this. No, Stanley didn't do that. He kept that little timepiece throughout his life. And and I feel like we've gone away from that kind of uh, sentimentality.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that because I I think those you know those personal items I think are so important you know because that that item is tied to that person you know I mean it, a lot of times when you're growing up you know you 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 you, you see something like a, like a timepiece that's on you know and you associate that with that person that you love and it's it's nice even your parents it's nice to have those things you know because it reminds you of them and and, it, and it's a part of them. And my grandfather, I mean, because he had a kind of a fascination with clocks and, and, and time pieces and such. And he, um, you know, he would he would he loved to fix those things as well. And, and you know, I, I actually got a, a wristwatch, you know, of his that he when he passed, you know, that I took on. But um, but, yeah, those things were valuable to him. And he, he found them important enough to hang on to. And And then, and then you know. And then it's nice to, to kind of receive those things, have those things passed down when when possible, Just you know, just to have.
1: Yeah, and you know what I'm thinking as we're talking about this is that people always say, oh, you got to declutter for the new year. But maybe we should be more mindful of what we declutter because there could mm-hmm. be valuables in there that we don't even know about.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and some, something you might regret you know, getting rid of, you know, at some point, you know, because yeah, there, there is, I mean, there's value in, in, you know, in, in, people's personal items and things that are, because that item was important to that person, you know? So I think that's kind of what it carries with it is the Im- importance that it was to that person. And it's like, when you have that, you kind of, you know, take over and, and, and have a, that, that importance, you know, sitting in your hand there. So, so where is it, it now? Is I
1: got to ask, where's the timepiece right now?
0: it's um that timepiece is is we don't have that 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 timepiece is is not there you know it's it's i mean in the book um you know m m a places it on his coffin and it's and it's with him you know she it's one of the items that she leaves with him um and 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 the book the timepiece is also it also has a symbol- a symbolic element to it you know because when he finds that timepiece you know the polish believe that when you receive a timepiece it, it it a lot of times it begins a countdown you know a countdown in your life so the timepiece in the book in the story also has a like i said a symbolic element to it where it started him on a journey when he found that timepiece you know the journey started and the clock was ticking you know and he knew that you know that the day he died that you know that that watch would stop ticking you know so and that's that's kind of a polish belief as well so
1: Wow, that's uh, that's pretty deep. you got to get the book. Heart of Steel is the name of the book. Kevin D. Miller is who I'm talking to. Now, first of all, Twitter contacts, where can people find you? Is it webmilleraz?
0: Yeah, the um, yeah that's my Twitter. But the easiest way to do it, Alex, is just go to the website, heartofsteelbook.com, and all my social media uh, links are at the top right-hand part of the page. Uh there's a lot more information up there about the story a lot of backstory there's photographs there's there's uh, links to media there's there's also a link where you can purchase a uh, an autographed copy of the book as well. There's links to Amazon links to Barnes and Noble where the book's available um but yeah, the social media's at the top there too so you can you can connect with me that way
1: and By the way, I know you're a web designer uh as your day job, so uh plug that for you for yourself if you want to oh I'm, yeah, I'm curious about that.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, years ago um, when I was working at Motorola as an engineer, when, when the web just started in the early nineties, I, I started getting involved with that. And I'm like, this is great. So I made a career change at that time and decided I wanted to become a web developer. So I did. I went back to school and I got another degree in uh, web design. And uh, I had gotten a job with the city of Peoria, actually in Arizona for, I spent 14 years there as their web uh, developer and web designer. And then I also did it on the side uh, for businesses and professionals myself. And that's uh, the, the web address to that is Um, um And yeah, that, that's something I do on the side. So it kind of worked out good because I was able to do my own website for the book. I, I did the websites for my two young daughters who are actors, um, emilyray.com, Emily com is my oldest daughter, and then thegracymiller dot com is my youngest daughter. So I, I I saved money by being able to do their websites. You know, well that's a profession.
1: that's a great mm-hmm. talent to have, and people always could use a web developer uh, oh, yeah. because you know WordPress is nice and other things. I guess mm-hmm. Patron tries to develop, but nothing like a personal touch to it, right?
0: Yeah, that's always been my philosophy. I mean, WordPress is good; a lot of people like it, and, and I, there's nothing wrong with that, you know. But it it limits you in a lot of ways. The, 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 the websites I develop are custom design. I, I get with the client, and I'm like, "Okay, give me your vision of what you want to see," and then I take their ideas and I, I turn them into a, an actual web page, um, customized to their you know their vision and their thoughts and stuff. So that's kind of how I work.
1: And I think one thing we can learn from Stanley is that he took a risk. Opening his own business, so if you want to take a risk and make your own website, uh, it's a great risk to take because uh, you know Kevin will make it great for you. You know that type of mentality.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah, you you bet, man. That uh, and I enjoy that because the, the the thing with the uh, with the web design is like I've got you know I was an engineer for a few years. I've got a technical mind, but I've also got an artistic side as well, and it just meshes the two you know perfectly. So it was a great it's a great. um you know, profession for me. It just fits, you know, and I did a lot of technical writing, you know, on the web and that sort of stuff. So, you know, so I was familiar with writing it that, you know, technical writing didn't really translate to writing a novel. That was a whole different animal and a whole different skill set. And I learned a lot of stuff in the three years that it took to write the book. But uh, so now, yeah, and I plan on, you know, writing another book. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue on down that path as well. Do you feel,
1: because this is Advent, and I want to I get this in there, do you feel like God sure. called you to tell his story? I mean, I know that your grandfather didn't uh, find Christ until later in life, from from what I've read in the book. Do you find like mm-hmm. this was your calling from him from above to write this?
0: I, I really, I do, Alex, I feel like that, because I, I just look at, at how things have unfolded, and I always know in my life that, when God's calling me to do something, when God's sending me down a path, those doors just open up. I mean, the path is just like laid out, you know, because the alternative to that is, is you get these, you know, obstacles and stuff. So I know not to go down the road, but with the book, I mean, it's, everything is just falling into place. And I felt inspired and I and I pray about it too, because I, I guess I'm, I'm like, I want the story to touch the hearts of people. I want it to inspire people, you know, to know that it's, no matter how bleak things get you know, you can always overcome those things. And, and, you we we, you know, we overcome those things with, with our faith as well, you know, and my grandfather, I, you know, I, I truly believe that he, he believed in God, but I think he, he was, you know, distraught at what he went through, because it's like, my father's murdered, my mother went to prison, we went through all this stuff. But so it took him a lot of years in his life to finally come around full circle and come back kind of like the the Bible says that, you know, the prodigal child, you know, he was lost for a while. He, he never lost God in his heart, but he was lost for a while. And it took him a while to come back around and find his way back, you know, to his father, his true father.
1: Well, you know, and, and when I saw did. that change, uh, when I saw that change, was an MMA turned, you know, came through the door. He prayed to God that MMA would come back. And there yeah. she was.
0: And there she was. You know, he did, because that that's what really that was the, the turning point in his life. Cause he had, it's kind of like he had to give up something. He had to lose something in order to win something. And, and God did, he, God, you know, he answered that prayer for him and, and, and touched his heart and changed his life. And, and they were happily married for 49 years until he passed in 85. So,
1: well, and I know I can't let you go without asking this because I know you were excited. You texted me a little while ago saying, oh, you've sure. got to talk about this new thing. And what is a new thing? What what is next for the Stanley Pacholsky
0: story? What is next is really exciting news. Um, I, I've got a good friend of mine out here, a, a, a wonderful actor named Kevin Sizemore, who um, coaches the girls you know, quite a bit um, and, and prepares them for auditions. And I gave him a copy of the book, Alex. I, I said, hey, read my book, you know, just read it. And and he thought at the time, he's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to read. You're my friend. I'll read, I'll read my friend's book. Well, after he read the book, he calls me the other day and he says, hey, um, I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to meet with you. And he sat down and he says, man, he goes, I, I love this book. He goes, I, I want to option this book. I want to pitch this book around, um, you know, and make a movie out of it. Let's get this movie made. And, um, and he's got a production company and he does this. I mean, this is, this is what he does. And this and that was the reason I handed him the book as I was hoping that he would come back and we'd have that conversation. So I've, he's, I've optioned the book to him for the rights to go to pitch the book, um, to create the movie. So we are working, we are in the process right now of taking Heart of Steel and putting it on the big screen.
1: Well, that is a blessing in and of itself. That's amazing. Now I got to tell you a quick story. So, I had the Saturday sit-down, which I just posted uh, yesterday because it's Sunday today. I, I posted this. Uh, a document, a documentary director came on my podcast to talk about mm-hmm. the vision that another guest I had in January uh, mm-hmm. about his life in New York City. He wanted that to hit the big screen as a documentary. Well, 11 months later, he got that goal accomplished. Now, I remember – and we talked about that yesterday on the Saturday sit-down – I remember Kevin you came on this podcast and said, you know, I really want to make this a movie and now that's starting. So I don't know what it is about this but maybe there's a good connection that I made over the last few months and things are going for the people I've interviewed which is amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's your show Alex. I think um, you know, I think you're uh something's happening, you know? Some some something magical is happening here because yeah, that's that's an interesting uh, you know, story that you you say that. So so maybe I
1: want to make a movie out of it. And now it's happening. Yeah, I so did. congrats on that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. I, I sure did. And and now, now that that's uh, becoming a reality. So, yeah. So thanks. Thank you. Because, um, you know, maybe more people need that, uh, want to have their book turned to a movie or, or such need to come on your show.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> I tell you first, let's just pitch the book one more time. Heart of steel. It is Christmas time. It's Hanukkah also, uh, this mm-hmm. week. So, Please if you want if you need a gift, this is a great gift to get someone and uh your a loved one, a friend, and uh inspire people this year. Kevin Miller's done that. Maybe you can as well through Kevin and the Heart of Steel. And it's on Amazon and elsewhere and uh heart of steel dot com. Uh, heart of steel book dot com is where they can get the book, right?
0: Right. Heart of Steel Book dot com is, is um it's got the links to Amazon and Barnes & Noble where you can buy the book, and you can buy an autographed copy on, on that homepage as well.
1: All right. Well, thanks so much, and uh, Kevin, please come back and let us know what's going on. I love getting these updates. I love that things oh, are starting cool. to happen in people's lives, that they really are had a vision. You know, there's a great saying, and I don't know if you ever watched Sunday in the Park with George, but because I'm in the city, I kind of have the Broadway <laughs> thing injected into me around here. But. Sure. There's a great line in that show. Stephen Sondheim wrote it, said, uh, a vision is a vision if it's only in your head. So you got to make it happen for mm-hmm. everybody to see it. That way it becomes more than a vision. It becomes reality. And Kevin Miller, you are certainly making this a reality. So congratulations.
0: Thank you, Alex. I appreciate that. Appreciate that very much.
1: And uh, I'm Alexander Garrett. This has been the Sunday Pod, a special edition with Kevin D. Miller, author of Heart of Steel. Let's let Nat King Cole take us out once again on Keeping Real with Alex Garrett. Born is the King of Israel.